so much of my work has been spent covering the lineage of music, and uh, one of the most vital parts of that is family lineage and the opportunity for kids to learn from their parents about what it means to be a road dog musician and what it means to sing for your supper on the bandstand. Whether or not you are an improvisational musician is beyond the point. Uh, you can write beautiful songs, surround yourself with beautiful people, live in a very simple way, and uh, in a very old-fashioned way, in, in a very beautiful way. And my guest has uh, resided in Idaho his whole life. Uh, he saw his father on the bandstand, or at least traveling to gigs quite a bit as a youngster. And he wound up forming formidable bands with his brothers and a lot of other cats in the uh, regional, in the greater Idaho scene. And uh, such an honor, Muzzy Braun, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hey, Jake, good to be here. You know, Muzzy, can you talk a little bit about, um, did you, did you and your brothers have the opportunity to see uh, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee? No, it did not. I'm curious about, like, the blues influences that you had as kids, as opposed to just straight uh, country western. Blues influences, that's odd, because, you know, I don't really, I don't really think back at too much blues, because growing up, um, we listened to uh, American... Top 40 radio was uh, one of our primary sources outside of what my dad brought to the table, which was uh, contemporary music across the board. You know, so uh, from as far as far as a blues background, not too much until later. You know, grew a little older than my first. I guess kind of what I would consider blues stuff was uh, Jimmy Rogers. And that was more in the country vein, but he was kind of a blues cat, I thought. In the sense that he, uh, in his messages, or also in the sort of chordal structures? Well, yeah, his playing styles, and, uh, uh, and, and like the blue yodels and stuff. I thought that, I mean, it's not, obviously it's not traditional blues, mm. as, as you probably think of it, but from my perspective, that's kind of, when you ask the question about blues, that was probably the first influences that I had. This is something I actually wanted to ask you about, and I realize you were a kid and not going to see your father play, but um, that dude, would you say that he could kick bass pedals, too, on the B3? He had, uh, he play, He originally started on accordion in North Dakota, and then after he was in the Army, and he started playing piano, and then eventually graduated to a B3, and he, and he played his, his B3 on the right side, and then he had a, uh, 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 <laughs> a piano uh, on the left, yeah. so it was kind of, kind of like an L. And then on top of that, he would have, uh, he had like a harpsichord type of uh, uh, instrument that he played. Hmm. But he had on his, his, his he played all the pedals on the on the B three, which were basically bass notes, you know, a full bass run on there. Well, I got it. I'm just wondering if, like, we also had yeah. one. We also had a B three in our living room. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Dude, this is and, where it's uh, at, man. I knew that, man. Holy cow. Yeah. But I got to tell you, this is, this is I think, is, I think, pretty. But there was a rule. He let us play the play the piano, play the organ. But there was a rule. It was no chili on the organ. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, I mean, you talk about that. Your dad, he could play. He was, like, one of, from that generation where he was, um, he could play everything. I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little. He just said that uh, you said like your dad could pl- had a huge bag of tunes. He could play pop oh, music. Yeah, his repertoire was huge, and he played. Um, uh, he had a library. It was all sheet music, and then he had. And back in the day, they used to make these things called fake books, right? Which were right. big, thick books of of tunes. And it, you could buy them in any, any genre of music, but they would just have like the uh, the verse and chorus and the chord structure of a song, and and uh, and so if somebody asked him a song, he could he could just he could whip it out. He he could play anything. He played, uh, you know, he read music very well. Also, so was he? Was, really, yeah, he was he was great. I got to watch him play a lot because wow. uh, in his later days, I was he was playing in a. For 25 years, he played at this uh, little club in Jackpot, Nevada, which was just uh, 40 miles from the Idaho border where we were raised. And uh, I I went down there and dealt cards when I was really young, like 20 years old, 21. So and I was in the club, so I got to go up. When I did off shift, I get to go up and watch him play. So I was real fortunate that way. Was he? Uh... Was he doing a lot, like at that time, did he have a drummer that he played with? I mean, obviously in the house, your brother was probably grooving. No, no but it was just him. No, he yeah. And I'm trying to think if he ever had a drum machine. I mean, I, I am very did. interested about, like, that to me is fascinating because he must have had an impeccable time. Because he must have, he had a yeah. swing. He was a one-man band. He was, yeah. Yeah, he was a great vocalist too. So, um, yeah, watching him play was 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 really fun. I mean, he and his kind of his uh, his claim to fame was he didn't necessarily know anybody's remember all their names of all the people who came to watch him, but he always remembered their tune. And I watched him many, many, many nights sitting up at at, at, the, at the bar watching him. And somebody would come in and kind of wave to him. He would segue into their song. Wow! You know, wow! Yeah, it was great. It wow! Was great. Yeah, that's like the ultimate respect, right there. Yeah, I, yeah. And I mean, his, his tip jar overflowed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like? Um, I mean, you can just sort of step back. Like, there's just so much. We're saturated with so much information today. There's, there's, re, there's books on everything. There's videos on everything I just kind of wanted you to talk about your early like when you guys started to write original tunes how organic was that process compared to today where most of it I mean even if you you got a bunch of burning players a lot of times it's the tracks are sent via email and stuff so it's not human but I just wonder how organic your song building process was early on um, well, I honestly I started writing just because I, I had a few friends that started uh, in the music business. Tino Bennett was one of them, and 
they had a band back in the early 70s, maybe the late 60s, um, called Tarwater, and they were out of uh, over out of Mountain Home, Idaho. Wow. And they wrote some of their original tunes, and I did. I really wasn't that aware of. Uh, I just I didn't. I guess I never really contemplated where where songs came from, you know, as far as songwriters. I didn't really think too much of the songwriting thing until I started seeing people that I actually knew wrote songs. I thought, well, that's interesting. And uh, so I just kind of dabbled in it. And um, the winter of probably, I don't know, was up in the mountains of uh, central Idaho, not too far from where we live now, at a little place called Robinson Bar Ranch. And I was working up there in the winter, and that's what I went up there to uh, to uh, write. That was primarily what I went for. Because in the uh, earlier days of my musical career, I started with my brothers in high school. I was just a singer, a lead singer. I didn't play an instrument. So later on, when I started learning the guitar, then I had a vehicle to, to start writing. So that's probably what postponed my writing. Anyways, I didn't have an instrument to, to play on. Can you talk about, uh, this is classic, uh, because um, I'd love you to talk about, did you guys, especially your brothers, did you start, when did you first plug in? Is that Are your first memories electric music, or was there a folk aesthetic to your, to your upbringing? Did you learn the acoustic music first? You know, we kind of went... I, we we went to a parochial school, and there was a, a bit of a folk thing going on with a couple of the guys that played guitars and banjos. Wow! And uh, and it was kind of a folk thing, but I didn't really get into that. Our real um, we started in the late you know, mid sixties, I guess. Um, I have two brothers, two younger brothers, and Billy, who's the youngest, is, is a bit of a, a prodigy. He used to be able, he was the only one that knew how to tune a guitar. Because <laughs> it was before, before tuners, you know, so you, did, right. you, know, you had to right. have no, a fork or a piano, and that was the only way you could be in tune. And anyway, and my brother Gary played drums, Billy played guitar, I was the singer. We had some friends that played uh, bass, and we added a uh, a uh, keyboard at one point. We had some different things, but we played rock and roll of the '60s. That's what we did until the Beatles came along. That just and that kind of transformed us. Well, wait a minute. I, I thought you were going to say the Beatles transformed you, but then maybe you guys were playing like Sly and the Family Stone. Were you playing like some rock funk kind of stuff? No, no, we were playing. Uh, we were playing like the Who and uh, stuff like that. Right. While well, you were covering that kind of stuff, so then you had your own. Rock band, um, and uh, I'd love you to talk to the audience about the touring circuit of that time. I mean, my road dog friends today, I mean, they're in a sprinter van selling merchandise, they're not making much on the gigs. And I've talked to a lot of cats, um, you would stay at one place for a long time, they'd put you up, uh, they'd feed you, and you get a good, good compensation. And uh, I just love you to talk about the the road dog lifestyle and uh, if that was if there was some if, you know a satisfying experience for you and your brothers. Yeah, well, you know, we started in high school when when we were playing. Then everything we did then was was local. You know, within 
you know, a night's drive. And primarily what we were doing then was, was high school, high school shows and, uh, a few conventions and stuff like that in the summer, a few little outdoor music things, but we could play and a thing that they had armory dances, you go to the national guard mm-hmm. armory and play on the weekends. And, and we made, I swear we made more money back then. We were making like 50 bucks a man, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, twice a week. We we're making like a hundred bucks a week, a man. Cause, uh, it's just the way it was, and I mean, so we were we were fat cats back when it was, you know, the the uh, the national uh, earning level was a buck and a quarter an hour. Exactly, you know? exactly. But then when I started playing professionally after high school, I had a little uh, hiatus where I was in business a couple of times with different things, and um, and then there were. There were these clubs called, uh, there were restaurant bars that had listening rooms attached onto their uh, restaurants. And if you got on that circuit, you could play five nights a week. It was called the Sandpiper. And um, there was five of them in Idaho in the major towns. So you could travel from town to town and, and work. Uh, I mean, you could work religiously. That is unbelievable. Really wow. If you got on that on that circuit, which we were fortunate in that my brother and I were fortunate enough to get on that. When you say listening rooms, I mean, were, were, was there, was it, was there a dance floor in there or was it essentially like, I mean, it was more of a whole, yeah, it was more of a bar, uh, a bar room that was kind of a holding room for people waiting to get into the restaurant. Right, right. And then after, after the restaurant, hours kind of closed down and people just came back into the bar. It was a real, uh, real, uh, happening scene because, uh, uh, you know, back in the day, the, the party level was pretty high for people. <laughs> and, uh, there, were, there weren't many rules and regulations. Oh, so man. You're, playing four, you're doing four hours a night, you know, <laughs> yeah. nine to one. I mean, so you would do like forty-five on and twenty off. Would there? Would you switch sets, or would you just play like four sets a night? Oh yeah, yeah. We didn't have really have set lists. We just played, you know. You know, yeah. We just play. We you play for an hour. It depends on the group. My dad, you know, you don't. Uh, if if you don't have to go by the clock, don't go by the clock because. If you have a good crowd of people, then, oh, it's, it's 10 o'clock, I have to take my break now. And you take the break and you come back and there's nobody left in the room. So, uh, you know, we, you might play for an hour and a half and then take a break, you know. Just, it just depended. It was, uh, were you just playing uh, guitar and, and drums with your brother? I mean, was it a duo or did you, what was that band? That you... It was. Yeah, with my brother, well, over the years we had different uh uh, configurations, but as the Braun brothers originally, uh, and we were together about 10 years, I guess, it was very played, uh, played drums and harmonica and sang, and I just played rhythm guitar and uh, sang. How did you guys... But we, had a, we had a pretty good... Yeah, it worked out. We just played dance halls. I mean, how did you learn... Where did your ears grow the most in, on the bandstand, what I mean by that is, you didn't have a bass player, and uh, especially with your brother as a drummer, 
how were you guys able to lock in like that? I mean, you don't, you just never see guitar drums anymore. You used to see a lot of organ drum duos too back in the day, but like the idea of not having that anchor, how did, what did you, what did you listen for in your brother's playing so that you guys could, could lock in? Well, I played kind of a walking bass line with my rhythm guitar. Okay. And, and he would, he would add the drums sparingly, you know. We, we kind of had arrangements where he would play off of the bottom end, you know, with the kick and the snare. Yeah. And then play a harp, harp lick, you know, play a, back it up. And we used a lot of dynamics that probably helped us along that way. And then if, uh, if we needed to move it along, you know, then, then I would play um, just like a full, a uh, fuller, uh, strumming and, and, and eliminate that that baseline thing, you know. And Gary would uh, just pick it up on the drums more, you know. I don't know. I don't. I can't really explain. It, but we were playing a lot of uh, Western swing stuff sure. back in the day. Yeah. And uh, so um, I don't know. I, I guess I think our vocals carried us more than our rhythm actually did. But, uh, and, and then I think just the actual um, selection of material uh, helped too, you know. Would your dad, would your dad uh, sit in with you guys or, or he wouldn't go on tour with you, but I mean, like, would he? No, because yeah. he was always working. I know. <laughs> yeah, he, he Dude, the man record. was out of control. He didn't get to record with us, though. That's the coolest part. Yeah, it was really cool, and a, and a set, this is really a sad story, is that uh, we recorded our first album in Twin Falls, Idaho, where we grew up, and when we were recording our second record, the night, uh, the night before he was scheduled to come into the studio to play on our second record, he and my mom were tragically killed in a traffic accident going to work, going down to Jackpot. And so that never did happen, but uh, we did get to uh, enjoy him playing, and we always played uh, jams. You know, we jammed at Christmas time and and times when we got home. He would get his accordion out, and we would all play, and it was great fun. Um, I just want to ask you. First of all, that was very, very heavy stuff. I, uh, I'm you know I I live in Tucson, and uh, a while back I was in this record shop and I found this record uh old cowboy blues now that's the record my dad was on dude he's all over this record and he is this is the most burning record I I mean it's I, I am so honored to have this record and I was looking at it and I said musty Musty is all over this record, and I just—you're telling me that he uh, made a living uh, on the bandstand his whole life. He there was no studio scene per se. I mean, he was just trying to find—he was trying to get you guys to at least some part of civilization, you know. But I'm just trying to figure out like he was able to make a living and support his family as a bandstand. Yeah. He always worked. We, he started out in uh, up in northern Idaho, and he has a sister. He actually has. He had a brother that was a professional musician, 
who lived, who lived in uh, Seaside, Oregon, a keyboard player, and he was also a music teacher. And then he had a sister, Rosie, who sang with him for a while, and they were great together. I can remember that as a little boy. And then he had a band back out of, out of the Army, and he was the leader of the band, and at some point in time, the band uh, broke up, and he just went off on a solo. And, but he used to work six nights a week at the uh, Club 93 in Jackpot, Nevada. He had Monday nights off, and he always had a gig in town on Mondays, playing at uh, Country Club or one of the other hotels or something. Wow. <laughs> he, was just, he just worked all the time. Would he? Was he? Was he? Was he? Was he into guys like Jimmy Smith at all, or 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 uh, any of the jazz cats? Oh, he was a good jazz player. Yeah, he could play. He could play anything. That's really so he good. could play a lot of. Oh, that is so classic. I mean, and and, and yeah. that those those were the. It was still popular music, and then also, can you explain explain your your family's relationship to Lawrence Welk? Well. We get it's a little bit muddy. <laughs> um, he grew up his his family grew up in Strasburg, North Dakota, which is where Lawrence Welk is from. And I mean, I've actually been back there. Yeah. Um, we have a, a cousin that's uh, had me back there for a couple of family reunions, and they actually took us to the Lawrence Welk Museum in Strasburg, and gave us uh, swag. We got t-shirts and records and stuff. But as far as I know, sure, I mean, we would have to get Cousin Lyle to tell us how it really works. Mm -hmm. But I think it was my my dad's sister, one of my dad's sisters was married to Lawrence's brother somewhere along the way, or vice versa. And that's where I could never quite figure out. But we know that it's 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 uh, it's not like real close, and it might be. It, I don't know. I just have to leave it at that because I just start stumbling on how it really works. Absolutely, no, absolutely, it's absolutely fine. I mean, uh, um, this these cats, uh, J. Robert Hout Tailing, uh, Hout Tailing. I mean, th this yeah. this configuration of this group, um. Were you able to ever do a domestic tour with like this? This band is burning hot. It's also there's like there's some high lonesome sounds. There's a blue. There's some bluegrass in this album. Yeah, there's a yeah. That was our first record. We did it. But actually, this this lady I used to work with at a studio that they were doing. Uh, they had started doing some religious recordings, and she. She said, I want you to come and record in our studio. And I said, well, okay. So we did. We only had a four-track. By the time we got done, they went and bought an eight-track machine so we could get it done. But, um, yeah, like, I'm trying to think of who's all on that. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I'm gonna, I, I can read off. It's uh, Richard Strickland, your dad, your brother, Wayne Lowe, Keith Carroll, Michael Jones, Carrie Curtis, Sue Markley, Marty Iverson, Belinda Bowler, and Chuck back oh yeah 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 so they were all friends except for chuck he was a he was a touring musician that was in some i think he was a still guitar player right and we yeah we i found him in a bar uh, <laughs> <laughs> i found him in a bar in twin falls and said hey man i need you to come over and and 
and cut some tracks with us, and he did. Um, but the other guys, uh, Jay Roberts, a great fiddle player. He's uh, he's been all over the world. Uh, Wayne Lowe is a great guitar player. And I think Carrie, I'm not sure what happened with Carrie. She was the banjo player, so that had some. Uh, uh, we even had cello on there, I think. Because Rick Stricker was a cellist as well as a big player. You absolutely have a cello on here. I just, uh, I'm going to run away from Civilization. I think that might be my new favorite song, dude. I mean, <laughs> can, can you talk about, that was, I mean, it was released in 81, but I feel like these tunes were road tested and took on a life of their own before you went in the studio. Yeah, we, yeah, we were recorded, yeah, they were written in the, uh, Oh, I would say mid early seventies, mid seventies at the latest. 70s. Exactly. I, started, I was yep. up at Robinson Bar in like seventy two, I think. So that's when I wrote a lot of the songs from that first album on at that time period, seventy seventy one to seventy three, something like that. Um, you know, did have you had a chance, or did you? Uh, I guess I would love you to talk about how you have been able to uh, stay on the righteous path and, um, you know, how you, what, what advice you would give to younger cats who are interested in creating communal, uh, communal music and art, uh, original music and art. Well, first thing you have to be able to accept is that there's no money in it. I know. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and I think it's getting worse. But uh, I think from a, a writer's perspective is, I think you, you want to write from the heart. You know, that's probably the most important thing. And uh, try and do something a little different if you can. Um, as far as, uh, as far as being creative or try and get ahead of trying to reinvent the wheel, the wheel has been invented. You know, it's pretty hard to come up with something new. So I think you're better off to just find what, what comes out of you and see if that sticks. You know, that's as good as advice as I can give you. Just be honest about it. No, absolutely. Is, is the way that you sang for your supper as a musician, totally different from the landscape of today. I mean, you, is that fair to say? I mean, there's just, are, are, is there a crossover from, I'm curious about crossover and similarities between your pops, your brothers and you, and your sons. And, and if, there's, uh, if there's similarities, similar threads in, within the way you guys have made livings. Well, I think the similarity is, is that we have kind of committed ourselves to being working musicians, and so you had to go beat on some doors, you know, and, and get some jobs. Right. I mean, that that's basically what it was. Sometimes it didn't pay as much, but at least it was paying something. And um, and then, every, you know, I think if you stay out there long enough, um, you get a little notoriety and you pick up a few... People like your stuff, and maybe you make a record. And we found out you can make your own records. That was a huge thing. You know, we had our own record company. 
because that was, we, you know, I tried shopping my stuff around. I couldn't get a nibble. I went to Nashville. I did all that stuff, but I could never, uh, I never got a bike. So we just made our own records, sold our own t-shirts and hats and records and had our own distribution and we just made our own business, you know, and it, and sold them off the bandstand and you have to shake hands with people and you, and you meet people and it's a great way to make a living. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, I don't know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. It's just, uh, it's, I, I, it can be done. I think it can still be done. I don't know that it can still be done today because of the, the way music is tracked. Yeah, the, the cost of living too. I mean, yeah. Know? Yeah, the way it's distributed. I mean, well, that's true. you know, I mean, she, we used to sell records for five bucks, and we made three bucks on them. Which is pretty good turnover, you know. I was going to say, um, what was the big break that, uh, or what was a door that you had to bang on, and you and your brothers had to, where, you know, in order to create opportunity, you know, I always, I always say it myself, where it's like, you have to create your own opportunities, and as you know independent musicians that was the case i mean is there a defining or a good example of you like uh the stick to paid off well like i said when i oh i've been married happily for 50 years almost now and wow. my wife was a big uh, inspiration and also a good business manager for me she helped us along the line and it was it made uh made things easier to progress with uh, the business aspect of it, getting like getting uh, record stores and places like that to take records, and then you had to you had to do accounting. You know, you had to call them and see if they sold them, and then replace them and do that kind of stuff. It was, uh, and it just took it took more work. So you weren't just always playing music; you had to do the business part of it too. Which, what like how how big a, a discography does your does the uh, does the company like have? I mean, how much how much were you producing? Oh, 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 we want we were just doing our own stuff, and I had a couple of local friends that we put on our label, and that was basically it. I mean, and then my brother Gary and I, for the ten years that we did it, we only recorded three albums. And, and by the way, I I don't understand because they're not. I can't find them anywhere online. Anywhere. That's because they were just done in small runs. So. Um, so uh, you're talking like maybe yeah. that like maybe they were like ten copies or twenty copies of a total. Oh no, there was no no. We sold thousands of copies. Okay, because I, I I need to know what the names because was it under Spud Russet? No, no, Spud Russet. No, Spud Russet was a was a. Uh, takeoff band from after when my brothers and I played together in a band called the, I'm trying to remember this stuff, the Snake River Country Band was me and my brothers Gary and Billy. Oh my and when God. I left when I left that band and moved up to Robinson Bar to start writing and got married, um, then they formed Spud Russet, but they never recorded. That was just a band. But the three, the names of the three albums that we did as the Braun Brothers were uh, Old Cowboy Blues was the first one, and the second one was called Heart of Idaho, which was our bestseller. That had uh, that was uh, that was our bestseller by far. And the third album we did was Born a Hundred Years Too Late, and then after that, Gary and I split up and 
so we didn't record after that. Then I did a, a whole different uh, thing. I did uh, oh, I did some solo stuff. I did a, a goofy uh, little I did parodies on uh, old country songs and did them as golf lyrics, which is fuck give it. And then I started recording with the boys, so that stuff is all on our label too. Buzzy and the boys. Right, of course. I, I I wanted to ask you, I mean, just being a father of two daughters, I, uh, you know, what it, what was the best, looking back on it, what was the your greatest strength as a father? Greatest strength as a father? Yeah. I think uh, the thing I'm proudest of is the fact that they all turned out to be good good individuals and that they all still hang out together. I love that. Wow. That's, and they, I mean, they're all, they're all in the same town? Oh yeah, they all live within a, a few miles of each other. <laughs> then they all, three of the four boys bought places back out here in Idaho and you could throw a rocket at their places in Idaho. How did you um, I mean, they all sort of gravitated to their instruments, but like, how did you, what was your, did that whole thing just happen completely organically or was it like? No, I, yeah, I think it did because they, from the time they were born, they, they always traveled with me and whatever configuration I was with at that time. When the boys were little, my brother Gary and I were playing, so we just took Joanne and the kids with us on the road, so they were just always on the road with us, and so they just grew up being around music and the musicians, and so they got a little bit older, old enough, you know, I got them, you know, three-quarter size guitars and mandolins and drums and stuff like that, and they just, and just started playing a little bit, and that's, it just kind of evolved, you know? It's pretty good. If you say organic, I think that's a very good term for it. Yeah. So w- let me ask you. Uh, I, I uh, can you can you talk about this uh, this this? Uh, what was your uh, motivation for going to Nashville? Well, like anybody else, you know, I thought it would be nice to be able to sell some records. You know, <laughs> records yeah, man. You know, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, no, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think everybody has that in mind. Yeah. But it, I went down there with until Bennett uh, was down there. He was beating the path, and so he he got me into some meetings. And uh, but you know, as as I I went down there, I did that. I came back, and my wife, who like I said is very smart, she said, "You know, you're doing really well in Idaho. Why don't you be a." a, a a big fish in a small pond, you right. know, instead of a, you know, a minnow in the ocean. So I said, well, let's, let's just work on that. See if we can make some, make some hay in Idaho. How did you guys meet? I mean, you're very, you're very lucky guy. Without her, there'd be nothing. That winter that I went to, I told you the Robinson Bar Ranch. Right. To do my writing. I went there at, and I was working, I was like the, the stable guy. I took care of the horses and hauled water and did that stuff. And she was there and she was working as a, a helping the cooks and cleaning the cabins and stuff like that. This this place is a, it's an old 
Stagecoach stop wow. off of the Salmon River years ago. As a matter of fact, Carol King owned it many years later. Really? Um, yeah. And we actually lived within about 10 miles of that place, and that's where we met. Um. This what was the band called with your brother Snake Snake River? Uh, Snake River Country Band. Now was there? Yeah, yeah. Who was it? What was, it was just? It was just your brothers, or were there other cats in the band? It was me, my brother Gary on drums, Billy on guitar, and uh, a guy named Jim Barrett plays pedal steel guitar, and. That was that band. It's the Snake River Country Band. Were you like, uh, would you guys play like the odd or the, 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 the under, the underground cover tunes or would it always just be original tunes? No, it wasn't original at that time. It was, it was more top 40 stuff, but my brother Gary, who also was a DJ back in the day, went to DJ school and he really got into Western swing. So he's, He's the one that's really responsible for getting me turned on to the old, you know, the Bob Wills and Spade Cooley and all that stuff back in the day. So we played a lot of swing stuff, too. Is it fair to say that uh, that you are... Uh, tell me about a little bit about your, like, in, uh, instrumental improvisation. Like, uh, was there ever a period of time where you, you wanted to focus on that at all? I'm not, I'm not saying, you, you know, you're John McLaughlin, but... Um, can you talk about, like... Oh, it is now. I'm fascinated with trying to learn how to play play lead guitar. Really? And But I... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was just... I never had the opportunity because when the rhythm guitar quits playing, you have to really be a good lead player right. to follow that up without... with just a bass or drums or anything. So I never really had the opportunity, but I... I really like, I would like to think that I could be an instrumentalist, but I'm not very good at it, but I still love it, you know. Was there, were there tunes? a little mandolin. Yeah, exactly. No, I was going to say, were there tunes in Snake River or in any of the bands that lent themselves to stretching out? I mean, did you have somebody in the band that, that could stretch? You know, I, over the years, I've tried different things. I had electric guitars for a while, and I did have a band once, um, that did allow me to play a little bit, but that was like when when the boys were still really young and after my brother Gary and I were together, I had a band where I got to play a little bit of solo work, but not very much. I dig, I dig. And did, with that, that second record, did you get... Um did you get radio play in, like, Montana or Wyoming? Like, do you remember, Do you know if there were radio stations that were playing your tunes? Cause oh, it, yeah, we absolutely, yeah, we absolutely did. You know, we cut 45. That's oh, what we did back then. Oh, you, my God. you cut 45s and you sent them around. Right. And, uh, and then when you're driving through towns, you'd go into the radio stations and you'd hand up your 45s. And who knows, you know, they probably, you know, stuck them on a shelf or whatever. But we got play. Yeah. We got, you know. We got played. It was all independent, uh, you know, smaller radio stations. And that, you know, that... Yeah, it was before the huge consolidation, you know. It was just, it was very open, you know. So, you know, you could run into some, like, you could run into having a fan base in some place, you know, based on the fact that that local radio station was playing, you know, the Braun Brothers music, you know. (laughs) 
Wh- oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that, you know, I still hear about that, just like you saying that you found a record in a record store not too long ago. I still run into people that say, oh, yeah, we used to listen to you on the radio. So, oh, really? You know? I mean, this this record, I mean, were you? did you guys listen to... Uh... Well, I should not not necessarily your dad, but like, uh, were you guys like into Bill Monroe or Earl Scruggs or those cats? Well, obviously, I, I didn't definitely know who they were. You know, I knew that genre, right? But it wasn't my bluegrass was never my favorite music. I would I would say I I, I leaned more towards the the countryside of, of that genre. Uh, like I said, the Jimmy Rogers, the old, the old tiny country stuff. I really thought that was. Uh, I enjoyed that. You dug yeah, that, yeah? Uh, no, I did. I did. I like folk stuff too. You know, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, of, the, of the top forty folk stuff. But I thought, you know, like Gordon Lightfoot and uh, that kind of stuff. James Taylor. Just I always considered that stuff more folk than than rock and roll or whatever. Yeah, well, it was totally originated in, in came out of folk. You know, completely acoustic. Uh, yeah, singer songwriter stuff. I mean, uh, did, who was the? It, was there was there any legendary? Uh, it was so beautiful because my brother is the uh, editor of the Idaho Press, and uh, in Boise, and oh. I, I, I came up there for Treefort Festival last year, and uh, oh, yeah, and and um, and I saw a concert at the Gene Harris Band Shell, you know, and Gene. One of the greatest jazz piano players ever. Was there? Oh yeah. Was there? I used to see Gene. I watched. I used to be able to go in to the Boise Hotel and watch Gene Harris play in the lobby bar. I was. I was not going to ask. I was. I, that's what I. I, I thought that I, I had a premonition. That's insane. Like that is yeah. insane. That's the greatest yeah, story of the he, year so far. He was. You know. He was. He was. He was just. And he was a real giving man. I mean, he he helped uh, musicians. Uh, in Idaho, a lot. He was really a cool, cool guy. I mean, like, was who is the most legendary jazzer that you in Idaho? Like from your generation? Like, I mean, the, my generation, probably Curtis Steiger. Curtis Steiger. Now, why do you, why do you say that? I don't know who that is. Who? What? He's a sax player. He's a Boise guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a real. Jazz cat. Uh, anyway, um, as far as jazz goes, I'm trying to think of. I knew some old guys. You yeah. know, I knew a guy named Gene Oranger, who is still alive today. And he is. Builder. Yeah, down in the Hagerman Idaho. He's like 90, 90 now. And he, oh my god! He was a great player, great, great player. And I knew some of the guys out of Sun Valley. Uh, Oh, let me think. I'm drawing a blank right it's now. It's all right, man. Um, no, no. I mean, this is what it's... Out catching, out sleazy. Um, anyway, I can think, think about it for a minute, but there were some really good guys out of uh, out of the Sun Valley area because there was more demand for sit-down jazz pigs there, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you still play... What, what are you still looking... Or what are you still learning about in life, in, 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 in your, I watched this really amazing video. I, it was on YouTube. I know you don't have any real presence on, on social media, new media, but it was the most amazing video of your family living your, your life and raising your boys. Uh, they were very young at the time and you were just living off the land and, 
you know, doing toboggan runs up on a hill, you know, and like, it was, it was like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I was sort of in a, I was very humbled by the whole thing. And I, uh, have you, do you still, I mean, the boys have moved on, but in some ways they're still closer than ever, but do you still live in that, in that way? Or are you, you know, yeah, we do. As a matter of fact, we, we just came back from Steamboat, Colorado. We just got in last night. Right. And uh, we would have gone up to the house tonight, but because we have two places, one in Chalice and one up between Stanley and here. And, but it was like 22 below. I said, I'm not going to go home and chop wood right now. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. We for it to warm up a day or two. Wow. Yeah, so- we still live in the woods. Yeah. Mozzie, man. I just want to say, I, next time I'm in Idaho, I would really love to come and visit you, man. No, you should come and see us. I would love to come see you guys. I, I, I am so humbled to, uh, to have uh, connected with you through Rob, and uh, and I will, uh, you know, I, I would love to even interview your brother or anybody else. Like, I love that. Re- I love tapping into new regional music because at that t- that was my final question for you, Mozzie, in set one. Uh, what is Idaho hillbilly music? The reason I brought up Bill Monroe and stuff like that, like, like Vassar Clements and those cats, like they, they, they came in without, they were not part of the Academy or they didn't take the traditional music route. They were from the, they were hillbillies, but they had the huge ears. And so like, what is hillbilly, Idaho hillbilly music? What is Idaho hillbilly music? Um, well, is there a is there a is there a regional sound to Idaho? Because the country, the, the Western swing stuff. I mean, that was Texas, right? Right, that was right. Um, you know, it's so spread out. I don't know that you could actually pinpoint uh, an Idaho. Um, a regional Idaho sound. I want you to think about that. We don't, you don't have to answer it right now. I don't have to think about it. Yeah. yeah. Because you know what? Like, there's got to be something to that that Mountain West sound. I mean, I just feel like that was the magic of your generation, being able to grow up in a, a very sort of – it was definitely the Wild West, but I feel like, like, like you said, you were making well, – Yeah. Yeah, well, there were definitely bands when we grew up that – definitely formed the way that my brothers and I went. You know, there was a band called Tarwater. There was Bruce Hauser, and uh, he was out of uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, there was a, a group called Cow Jazz out of Salt Lake area. Um, Cow Jazz. Cow Jazz. They were great. Oh, yeah. my God. That KW, is so KW Turnbow, who I just saw in Steamboat, an old friend of mine, he's playing drums with... Uh, Ned Ledoux, Chris Ledoux's son. Wow. And he was in cow jazz. And so there was a regional, it was definitely a regional thing. That's what I'm, um, that's more what I'm getting at. There's a group called Montana, Montana, <laughs> and, they, and they died in a, in a plane accident. Oh. Uh, and they were, they were great. Um, anyway, there, there was definitely a regional thing going on. Uh, and it was, it was, it was pre, um, uh, Charlie Daniels kind of stuff. I always thought these guys kicked Charlie Daniels' ass. <laughs> you know, every one of his bands. Dude, that's uh, they, li- they were they were a little they were before Charlie Daniels came to the front. 
you know, or uh, I'm not going to say Leonard Skinner, but um, some of those guys, you know, they, these guys were, they, they were just so good. And they had a real rock edge to their stuff, but it was real. I mean, there was banjos and steels and fiddles, and, uh, but it had some attitude, you know. I, it's all about... Try and find an album called, try and find an album by Tar Water. The album was called Tarnation. And it is uh, that was that was that would unlock that question. Yeah, babe, dude, Muzzy, yo, man, let's stay in touch, man. It was so good to talk to you, man. Okay, all okay, right, Jake, thanks for letting me do this with you. Hey, man, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Cheers, man. Bye.